Hello, you're listening to The Culture Bore, and I'm Susan Gordon. This is the podcast where I stumble into culture, my pockets empty, and come out the other side a little bit richer. Today, I'm led by a craving for fish fingers and green peas. I think of a neat rectangle of pollock or cod, an earthy golden butter, a bite which is crispy and mild. Round sweet peas have a sudden allure. I keep picturing them, their unmistakable, unvarying green. Green peas are plentiful, innocent in any quantity. I think of summer holidays, of being a small child with a healthy appetite, and tea time at five or six. Yet I've not thought of fish fingers for as long as I can remember. It's a meal fit for children, a dish too straightforward, too plain for adults to plan for themselves. Now it's calling to me. It makes no sense, so I shall make sense of it. I think I really want guilt-free convenience, and a meal fit for children is often that. A parent is already under pressure. They're already trying their best, usually. So if it comes from the freezer and takes eight minutes in the oven, that's okay. A meal fit for children is also precious. Children need energy. They're growing. And they're fussy. Presentation matters. It will be neat. Fish fingers serve to adults and nudging everything else aside, and they stack high on the plate. Fish fingers for children are polite and tidy. If it's food for children, it's likely to be styled as if it were a gift. Think of egg soldiers, or toast with the edges cut off, of boiled sweets and wrappers, silver foil around chocolate. It's a little bit like Easter at Fortnum and Mason's. Food for children may be tightly parceled. Think of triangles of cheese, of a lunchbox snapping shut. Think of ice lollies in tubes, crisps in tubes, drinks in cartons. It's all about not taking up room while keeping the world with its jams and sticky thieving fingers out. It's an exercise in precision. It's like every child and every astronaut have something in common. Some of this follows us into adulthood. Easter at Fortnum and Mason's is for adults too. On the shelves of Pret and Yosushi, food is undercover. Garnishings are bright, the portions are exact, and a little bit small. But for me, there is an alternative to fish fingers. Three potato croquettes with salad or a fish fillet won't do at all. Craving is not quite like wanting. You want big things, you crave small things, and the small things are imbued with a special outsized power. This new craving or hankering is for a piece of childhood. It's for the leisure and simplicity of meals that appeared at once with no thought or planning from me. I'm craving a meal I don't ask questions about, where I don't think about its carbon footprint. If it's reasonably nutritious, and fish fingers and peas are, no one wonders if a child's meal should have more protein in it, or if there's soya in the ingredients. It's not compared to more illustrious and time-consuming alternatives. No one decries its modest appearance. If food in childhood is without pretensions, it outgrows this lack of majesty and takes on a new significance years later. A taste or routine, trips to a fish and chip shop, can become part of your story. It's part of the person you remember you were. That's nostalgia for you. I think of the food of childhood and the polars of charm and excess. The stories of Roald Dahl celebrate sweets in glass jars. They deplore or greed for them. Writers may recall the names of favourite chocolates, but when I look more closely at the work of memoirists and writers, a Wes Anderson glow 
that of things not truly remembered, dims. Instead, I am in a place that's more difficult. Many autobiographies don't record food at all. When they do, the appeal of custard with cinnamon or salted crisps is magnified by surrounding adversity. This exaggeration, this effect is entirely real because those few minutes at break time or tea or a reprieve, a decent meal or even a cup of tea or coffee can be the bright spot in a lot of darkness. In Kit de Waal's 2022 memoir, Without Warning and Only Sometimes, Scenes from an Unpredictable Childhood, food has a powerful presence. Fry's chocolate cream makes it into the book's first line. Food is a chapter title, then several. One is sandwiches, another proper dinner on a proper plate. But young Kit is always hungry. And between her mother and her father are two culinary extremes. Her mother buys mushy fruit because it is cheap and the cupboards are very often empty or nearly empty. Her father cooks up virtual feasts of meat. At the least, it's a sweet and irresistible corn porridge. Here, Kit recalls him at work in the kitchen. We watch him like he's a magician as he tips in little drops of vanilla essence, stirring, then some nutmeg and stirring, and then a pour of evaporated milk, and again he does it, and again until he's happy. Corn porridge, he says, like we haven't guessed, like we haven't smelt the grated nutmeg from the front door and the hot sugary cauldron of delight. He pours it thick and golden onto the waiting plates, where it oozes out right to the rim. He sprinkles it with even more sugar and a final slick of evaporated milk around the edge. She describes it a perfect moment when it's cool enough to eat, sweet, molten, fragrant. Food seems to be all about choice. At every meal, there are countless options or variations on even just one recipe. It seems to be all about choice until we remember that eating is not optional. It's essential to live. Also published last year was Mean Baby by Hollywood actor Selma Blair. In her childhood, the Blair family went away on what she calls gambling junkets at Christmas and spring break. There was, she writes, coconut ice cream and shasta with more fresh pineapple and a pink umbrella which we could charge to the room. She says she was too nervous to eat at school, but on vacation I ate everything. One holiday is curtailed when her dad decides they will leave the hotel in the middle of the night. That was the last junket they went on. So the food Selma most enthusiastically remembers has, once more, a place alongside adversity. Selma also reminds me that food can be a source of shame, even for a child. At the age of five, her twin is shocked that Selma does not mix her cheese in with her spaghetti. Selma feels this shock and subsequent shame most acutely. It might be at the dinner table that social or economic restraints are louder and identifiable to the smallest children. For a child, a sense of self is gradually assembled around food. It's also assembled around other people, around books, sport and other interests. A gradual assembly with freedom and limits. To revisit child is to examine this assembly, the parts and how they were put together. Has anything been lost along the way? In 1924, Andre Breton, the father of surrealism, wrote in his first manifesto, From childhood memories, and from a few others, there emanates a sentiment of being unintegrated, and then later of having gone astray, which I hold to be the most fertile that exists. It is perhaps childhood that comes closest to one's real life, 
childhood where everything nevertheless conspires to bring about the effect of risk-free possession of oneself. Thank you for listening, and please do join me next time as we go into the woods with the culture bore.